five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Don't Let Go Canada Coalition. For 60 years, Canada has been a space leader. We help build the International Space Station and land astronauts on the moon. Back on Earth, we leverage our space capabilities every day to push boundaries in medicine, communications, and environmental monitoring. The clear vision and commitment of previous governments helped drive this forward, but now our country faces a decision point and we need to act. Please visit don'tletgocanada.ca and join the campaign to help us keep innovation, jobs, and our best and brightest in Canada. The universe needs more Canada. Don't let go, Canada. My guest today is Andy Boyer, CEO of Cleos. Cleos is a space-enabled, activity-based intelligence, data-as-a-service company based in Luxembourg. Cleos is a fascinating startup. Its founders are British, but decided to base the business in Luxembourg and then go public in Australia. The company's plan includes a constellation of 20 satellites. The first set will be launched mid-year next year and are being built by GOMSpace. Welcome, Andy, to the SpaceQ podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. I'd like to focus on the business you want to build, the history of how you got here, the market it would serve, and some of the business decisions you've made to date, so that our audience has a better understanding of what market you're after. How would you describe your business? We describe our business as a uh, space-powered data-as-a-service company. So what I mean by that is that we will launch and own and control a series of satellites in space where we collect data from the Earth. Um, and we monetize that uh, by selling the data to uh, government and commercial users of predominantly sort of uh, intelligence data. So what we would call intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance market, ISR market. Um, so it's, 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 we're using our space assets to collect and then, and then sell. It's um, so a rather than being, if you like, the traditional kind of old space model or areas that we've been used to working in, which is selling space hardware, we are um, controlling and owning our own space hardware or infrastructure to uh, deliver a product. So uh, your primary customer then is governments, military, the intelligence community. Any commercial customers out there as well? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. The, the commercial is, is just as important to us and will grow in importance as we, as we grow further uh, as a business. So, you know, we're taking a, a relatively steady approach with things in the sense that we're um, starting with a, a, a data product, which I guess if you think about it as is essentially kind of the raw data that we're collecting from from Earth. The marketplace for that are really those people who've already got an analysis capability, an ability to layer that data with other data sets. So that does tend to fit either with the very large uh, commercial entities or the more governmental defense and security type agencies. 
as we grow as a business, we intend to develop and grow our own capability to take the data and put uh, other data sets onto it, to make it more valuable, to deliver more solutions for particular problems rather than just the raw data itself. So as we grow as a business, our market will naturally grow more towards the commercial uh, end of the end of the domain. So before we get into some of the specifics of how you're going to do this, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the history because it's, I find it's quite interesting. Um, can you explain the relationship you've developed with the government of Luxembourg and what they've done for you so far? Yeah, sure. If you don't mind, I'll start a little bit further back than that. Um, sure. And uh, not, not right at my birth. We won't go quite that far back. But go back to uh, 2005. Uh, myself and my business partner, Miles Ashcroft, started a space engineering company in the UK uh, called Magna Parma. And this is a company delivering projects in space hardware into the, you know, the historical, really traditional old space markets, European space agency contracts, some really cool stuff we've worked on, um, instruments looking for life on Mars, um, a X-ray spectrometer going to Mercury to look at the composition of the planet. Uh, done lots of drilling tools for different planetary missions and all that sort of stuff. It's good, really good, fun, noble engineering work. It's 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 a great part of the business. Uh, over that period, though, since 2005, really, the whole industry has just changed dramatically in the sense that now you can um, launch very, very capable small satellites on much more uh, prevalent launches, so the cost of the launches come down, and and you're able to do that within a uh, sort of affordable sense that as long as you've got a business case around it and you've got some know-how and knowledge behind you and some money, you can actually deliver a business out of that. So if you like, we were, we've been watching that business develop over a number of years and touching in it and getting involved in the new space sector a little bit more as we grow, as we, uh, uh, as we've moved from uh, Magna Parva old space, I guess, into, into the new space domain. And as we sort of found this real, business cases, this uh, technology and, and um, idea to, to monetize the technology, we looked for homes for it. And um, it was clear that what we didn't want to do was pivot a Magna Parva, which was this old space project, you know, engineering consultancy, essentially, that was delivering flight hardware. We didn't want to try and pivot that company into something that it wasn't, something that was um, much more, if you like, um, uh, able to take appropriate risk um, because you're being privately funded rather than, if you like, funded through the European Space Agency. So we decided to do that as a fresh company, still owned by Magna Pub, but a fresh company with fresh people and, and what have you. And we looked all around the world in terms of places we wanted to, to house it. Um, we looked at you know, Spain, the US, uh, different parts of the UK. And at that particular time, this was uh, you know, two years ago, and now we came across Luxembourg because they were pushing very, very heavily into the, into the space sector, making great inroads around the early initiatives with space resources. Space resources. Um, uh, Minister Schneider, Etienne Schneider in, in Luxembourg, is an, a, a very passionate advocate of the space industry and was starting to make a big push into that area. And if you like, we, we just got attracted by the marketing, which brought us in to start talking to people and um, and speak to the Luxembourg government in terms of what it was they were actually trying to achieve. And it's the same as any government in a sense. You know, big, what they're trying to achieve is is 
more employment, more taxes, economic growth, and all those positive things, but in a high-tech sector. Um, and we sort of really latched onto that, latched onto the enthusiasm. They're real um, sort of drivers around things being, things needing to have a real commercial business case. And that fits in very well with our sort of mindset as well. If there isn't a commercial business case, then why bother? So we've sort of latched onto that, um, gone on very well with them, and then uh, developed a, a, a project which um, turned into some very well-supported grant funding from the government. And then that grant funding is obviously we've now leveraged that to bring in private investment. And so that, that sort of whole catalyst of the government kicking off something that then brings private money in has worked very well in, in this particular case. Now, what's the, the future of, of Magna Parva then? Uh, it is still the parent company, so is it as an old space company still going to go on as uh, a, it has been? Yeah, that's, that's right. I, I think that there's, there's some, um, you know, I, I think I think Magna Parva's focus will shift slightly um, uh, in the sense that it, it's where it's it's very very good is delivering early stage R and D development, um, and I think that uh, the, the guys there will um, continue pushing on that front and delivering, um, you know, either new innovations into the space sector um, and delivering R and D into the space sector, and I think that's a that's a kind of good fit for that particular business, and then we will see um, what happens post-Brexit, what the ambitions of the UK are, and then align, sort of then start to sort of align the business with what, what the UK is trying to achieve so that, that uh, uh, the company has the best chance of success after that. Now, is Cleos um, headquartered in Luxembourg? Yes, correct, yes. It is. Okay, so uh, with yes. respect to Brexit then, I suppose there isn't too much of a fallout from that. Um, no, probably only really from a personal perspective. I uh, live in Luxembourg with my family um, and I'm currently able to do so because I'm an EU citizen. Um, and post-March um, next year, I won't be an EU citizen anymore. So uh, the, my rights to, to live and work here will uh, not exist. And so the, the, there will need to be a solution for that to happen. So really from a, from a business perspective, no, that doesn't uh, uh, really matter unless they uh, start deporting CEOs, etc. Well, hopefully that won't happen. <laughs> well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Um, <laughs> yes, they're driving me to the airport. No, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they're working on solutions as we speak. Um, now, <laughs> yes, the market you're after is one we hear is one we don't hear a lot about when talking about small satellite constellations. How large mm. is the commercial ISR market in dollars that you're trying to tap into? Do you know? Yeah, there's a there's um, uh, as with all market research, there is. A multitude of numbers you can throw at this. It's, there's there's some uh, good market research that we've looked at, which is around airborne ISR, which is so this is uh, intelligence gathered from the air, so not specifically space, clearly, um, but but just not on the land, and it's around fifty billion dollars a year, something like that, um, and US dollars. This is so it's it's a it's it's a large market. What we're not 
able to look at there is really how much of that is to use space speak upstream and how much of it is downstream um how much of it is you know specific data etc so that's that's something that we're we're working towards i think the key thing about commercial data as a service as opposed to governmental sourced data, i.e. governments launching their own large satellites to deliver what we would be delivering to them buying data from a commercial, more accessible source, is that that, that market is the one that is, um, is, is really growing rapidly. Um, and it's, it's not because of us, but it's been broken, you know, the back has been broken by people like Planet, who um, are supplying in the imagery sense, uh, sort of visual and imagery. And if you like, we are another layer into that where we're, we're applying uh, or selling a sort of imagery in the RF uh, domain. So it's, uh, it's, we're just another layer in that, in, in that data set or in that uh, sort of analysis picture. Um, but that commercial offering is, is uh, of great benefit to government, partly because there is a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a general trend in reducing capital expenditure in some countries, um, but also it's a very good way of validating the big spend on your own infrastructure as well. So, you know, a commercial data set, which is relatively cheap when you compare it against the big GovSat delivering a sort of similar capability, we're really able to come into that, deliver something cost-effective that is able to help that expensive government piece deliver an even better output. Um, and I think that's quite attractive in terms of a, a general commercial data layering um, uh, picture for, for customers. Now, at this stage, it seems to be an open field for players in, in your market. What will separate you from your competitors? That's a, that's a good question. I think um, uh, speed is one element. So um, as with all markets, when they're growing quickly and when um, there isn't a, an incumbent, if you like, uh, it's going to be not necessarily first to market, but if you like, the the person that gets the market, but then also ramps up relatively quickly and delivers a, a greater capacity to uh, to fulfill customer requirements. And I think that's that's kind of the key thing. That will keep... Um, the majority of sort of players out. I think that there's room in the market for, for probably two or three big um, providers of this sort of data. I don't think this is a, a, you know, a single source sort of picture here or a full monopoly. And the reason why I say that is actually there's a kind of um, technical advantage to having multiple, let's say, you know, two or three data sets, which are of a similar nature because they also validate each other and you get more value out of them because they've been collected with different antennas, they've been collected, they've been in processed in a slightly different way. The customer, the end customer gets a better product at the end of it. And that's ultimately the goal here. We are aiming to deliver, you know, the best possible outcome for the customer, which is better or enhanced uh, situational awareness of, in our case, the maritime domain. And that's, uh, uh, that can be done through, layering of lots of the different data sets. It doesn't matter um, to the end customer if we're competing with other people or not. So no, I think, I think we're in a, I think we're in a sort of uh, quite healthy place. So speed is, is an important one. Um, 
uh, other areas of differentiation, I guess, will be there'll be clearly technical uh, differentiators. Well, there'll be some subtle differences in terms of the way people are collecting and processing that data. Um, there'll be some price differentiation. We don't know what that'll look like yet um, because it, it's too early to tell. But I'm sure that that will be the case. Um, and also geographical differentiation, whether you're uh, in based out of the U.S., uh, based out of Europe. Where's the data coming from and to, and how's it getting to that place and, and what have you, especially the sensitivities around the data. That's not to say that there, are, that there isn't broad export opportunity, but I think that, that will, I think that there will be some split there in terms of, in terms of the, the world, if you like. So speed, technology, and of course, uh, relationships. And from what I understand, your chairman, Peter Round, has a, uh, a large uh, background in uh, the defense sector. How important is, is, is Peter yeah. to, your, to your team? Um, he is exceptionally important. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't overstate his level of importance, if I'm honest, because... Um, you know, we come at this industry with a background in space, space engineering. We've got a, a long heritage in in being able to to deliver missions, and we we know what we're doing in that area. Uh, we have had dealings with the defence, particularly on the science and technology aspects, uh, different areas, and we, we're you know pretty in favour of those guys from an R and D perspective. But when it comes to delivering, if you like, a service into quite a, a large operational environment. No experience really on my part in that respect. So to have somebody alongside me who has been on the buying side of that, both with European Defence Agency, who's director of capability, doing all sorts of uh, procurement, quite large scale procurement in that area, um, and also his his MOD and NATO experience, he's he's uh, uh, he brings a great deal of knowledge to to the business in that respect and credibility in that particular domain. You know, to have your uh, Air Commodore, one star general level, sat alongside you in, in, in meetings is uh, a good confidence booster for, for people. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, the technology and uh, the nuts and bolts, if you will. Your, your first satellite oh. is the CLEO scouting mission, from what I understand, and it's expected to be ready yes. in mid 2019. Uh, and it's a five yeah. year precursor mission to launching the actual constellation of 20 satellites. Um, when do you expect the first operational satellite of the new of the, the constellation to be ready? I mean, the, 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 the Clio scouting mission is just to, you know, prove the hardware and, you know, how everything's going to work. When do you think you'll actually uh, get that first operational satellite? Yeah, there's a little bit more to the scouting mission than that. There's a um, there is some technological work that's there in terms of proving technology, the science behind it. Um, there's also a lot of the reason why we're calling it, calling it scouting. There's a lot of um, uh, collection of data over particular areas to to work out where we are best to optimize our future constellation as well. So it's a, it is a um, it's, it has a kind of multi-layered technical bias there, but it also has a commercial bias. And the reason what I'm, why I mean by that is that because we will have a data set suddenly, which we currently obviously don't do because we're not launched yet, because we've got a data set, we're able to better engage our customers. We can show them what we're getting, show them where the areas of interest are, show them how that's operating, how we're able to, um, how we're able to improve upon it, engage those customers and show that we can 
monetize that, that early data, show that there's a business case for it, but also that that, that business case is scalable. Once we've shown that that business case is scalable, that's where we're able to raise the further uh, money to, to launch the constellation. This is a proof of concept right across the business. It's uh, incredibly important in terms of emission. In terms of scale, uh, sorry, in terms of time, the time scales going from scouting into the you know the version two and rolling out into, into the constellation, um, we will be pushing that as aggressively as we possibly can. It's to be perfectly frank, it's finance driven. It will, the timing will always be finance driven, um, but we are already pushing very aggressively on that timescale. And I would, I would be hoping to be uh, launching secondary satellites within the same year or very early the next year, post the scouting mission launch. Now, the one thing that we haven't talked about is the actual data that you're going to collect. So can you pr- give us an idea of uh, the type of data that you're going to collect and the, the sensors that you would have on, on the satellite? Yeah, sure. So, so the first, the first scouting mission is um, uh, is focusing on the maritime domain. So we are uh, looking at VHF transmissions from uh, vessels. So when we talk about a satellite, we don't actually in the, in the scouting mission case we have multiple satellites in a, that work together in a in a cluster, and they um, uh, they operate as essentially a distributed satellite where we have a phase center at each uh, satellite. We need a minimum of three phase centers in order to do the, um, the to do the math to work out where the signal is coming from. But to give you a, a sort of picture as to how it's working, um, you've got a, a, a vessel that is uh, unidentified in, in any other way. It perhaps it's not carrying AIS, it's not big enough to carry AIS, etc. Then it is uh, transmitting to either within the ship Ship, ship to ship in terms of, you know, VHF and walkie-talkie transmissions, communicating ship to shore, if it's doing performing smuggling operations um, or illegal transshipping um, where you transfer goods from one ship to another or illegal oil bunkering and all those sorts of challenges that exist around the oceans. Um, all of this activity is, 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 is being enabled by the fact that people have to talk to each other and they're talking to each other over VHF bands, which is very, uh, uh, very, it, it covers only a very short distance, maybe only three or four miles out of the ocean in, um, as, as you look across the ocean. But those transmissions are drifting up to space and they're, they're heading up to space. And we collect uh, the existence of that tr- transmission at each of our phase centers and then using some maps we can work out where that, uh, the location of that uh, transmitter. Then what we're doing is because we're collecting all that RF um, uh, transmitter information at each of our satellites, uh, sending it back down to Earth, we then start to, to uh, collate those together in order for us to do the, um, the, the time difference of arrival based calculation to work out where the signal's coming from. You can then do some other things to do with identifying unique signals. Because if you've got a couple next to each other, a transmitter very close, they may appear like one signal, um, and we're doing some some work to separate those out so that we can show that actually no, there's two boats here, or there's two transmitters here. So that gives you a another piece of information about that particular activity. You can then start to see as they drift apart and move apart as vessels, where are they going next? You can then start to uh, look at what happens next to those those vessels. It gives you 
it gives a, you know, we talk about this enhancing maritime situational awareness. It enables people to see what activity is going around on Earth, um, hence the term activity-based intelligence, what activity is going on that isn't currently able to be tracked through, you know, the traditional systems like AIS, I guess, so, or just by people using their eyes. Um, so it gives that ability then to say, okay, well, this is happening here. We don't know exactly what is happening because ultimately all we're doing is is, is detecting that there's a transmitter there. That still then requires some visual imagery or uh, SAR imagery to have a look at what the ships are and what the ships are doing, et cetera. But you've got an idea of where, you've looking, where you're looking at that stage. We talk about that as a, uh, as a queuing function for other sensors. So we're a sensor part of that overall system uh, of, let's say, your traditional AIS tracking. That gets turned off or it doesn't exist. We're filling in a RF activity-based intelligence piece in the middle. And then over to your right, you start to look at what it, what's going on in a bit more depth. Do I need to go and fly a plane over to see what's happening? We've got an idea of where to look and, and see what's see where that see what is actually happening around that activity, or you know, as I said, use satellite imagery or SAR imagery or whatever it might be to to see what's actually going on. That's that's the part of the puzzle that we're filling in there. Not it's not a complete picture of exactly what somebody's doing. We're not telling people that somebody's illegal fishing in any way, shape, or form. We're filling in a piece of the puzzle. That's it. So are you going to partner with optical and SAR companies to uh, layer in that data, or are you just going to provide your data to uh, the intelligence community or whoever the customer is and have they'll then put that in with, it, with whatever optical and, uh, let's say, SAR data they have? Yeah, I think there's opportunities for both. Um, as I sort of said at the beginning, I think you've got a, a kind of, you know, sort of ready-made customer in the sense of the, the the bigger guys who have their own analytical capability. They don't want us to really do anything. They just want to hoover up data. That's fine. Longer term down the road, you start to put some of these pictures together and either we're providing into uh, commercial data analytics companies or companies that are providing uh, a commercial intelligence solution, or you're starting to put together partnerships where you're working with the imagery and, and AIS guys to provide a greater solution. And that's something we're not averse to any of those things. I think they're just pieces along the roadmap. Um, as we as we grow, we validate the business and then we move forward and, and essentially grow our own capabilities in the, in the ground segment. Um, so yeah, all of those things are on the table, definitely. Now, GOM Space is going to be building your satellites. Um, your right. initial scouting mission, how many satellites are in that initial scouting mission? Uh, there is at least three. There is at least three. Okay. And are you developing <laughs> any of the sensors in-house? Uh, we develop, no, we're using off-the-shelf uh, antenna in, ah, okay. in that sense. Very uh, sort of straightforward antenna. We're taking a, fair, a fairly... Um, uh, a fairly sort of low risk approach to the first satellite and uh, we're developing the the data processing end for that first mission. Longer term, um, the sensors will become more complex, especially as we're looking at land and airborne um, uh, 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 RF monitoring um, and geolocation. So yeah, longer term, that's, uh, we'll be developing sensors, but you know, not, not in the short term. So uh, a lot of the work right now is being done on your back end, which you're calling the Guardian AB, ABI, which is the activity-based yeah. yeah. intelligence platform, right? 
Yeah, if you, if you think about that, it's, it's, uh, it's a sense. The objective of the business is to make the data as accessible and commercial as possible. And the more that we make it accessible, i.e. easy to buy, um, the more people will access it and buy it. So um, the Guardian platform is about how do we interface between all these other guys' platforms, um, how do we interface with what they want from an API? What, how do we interface with regards, you know, the database that they want the API to go into? And we need to uh, make it as simple as possible. So this sort of Guardian ABI is at first this simply a, a route to market, essentially an accessible platform uh, or portal. And then it itself will grow in its capability as we build the, as you described, the, the back end, the analytical capability, the layering capability, and we grow that um, it, to be a more powerful beast further down the road. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's uh, you know, I always talk about this sort of scaling from data to intelligence, and that's really uh, the path that will take Guardian over the next couple of years. Now, um, just so that we have an idea, or the audience has an idea, what size are these nano satellites? Uh, the, uh, you know, is it a three U, six U type uh, platform? Uh, yeah, it's um, they're six U. It's a six U platform to start with. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that'll change potentially depending on how things go. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, you recently signed a, a, a memorandum of understanding with uh, Airbus uh, Defense and Space. What does this mean for the company? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I think um, it's, there's a couple of things that it picks up on. One is that it shows that there is an interest in the marketplace for the data. Um, you know, up to this point, point we haven't you know we've had letters of support and letters of interest and all those sorts of things from commercial users of data and which is that's really great and, and and of value and it shows that you're not you know completely mad um but this is a bit more than that and, it, and an mou kind of especially with a company like airbus who don't throw mous around this was really uh, showing proper engagement it's not a commercial contract it's not got money associated with, with it it is but it it's a it's a means to an end it's uh it shows that we can engage with these guys. We can deal with these sort of, you know, the big players. We're able to do so, and uh, and we're willing to do so. I think that's that's a kind of key thing. So it's really just showing that that market engagement and that we've got a vehicle to move the business forward. And that's uh, that's been very important validation, if you like, from a, a business perspective. Hi, I have just a few questions left, um, mostly uh, dealing with the financial side of things. So you had mentioned private investment, and, and we'll, we'll get to uh, your stock uh, listing in just a second. But um, can you tell me how much uh, private investment you've had to date? Yes, I can. Um, so uh, altogether, it is $13.3 million Australian dollars. Okay. Um, so that is roughly, I've got a book at the end, roughly eight and a half million euros in terms of private investment. We also had a, a government grant uh, of a couple of million euros from the Luxembourg government um, and uh, Magapava, the uh, parent company, put in a, uh, a few hundred thousand euros to get uh, the ball rolling. Uh, moving into Luxembourg, et cetera. 
Um, so there's a there's a fair you know there's a fair chunk of different sort of uh, money coming in there uh, over over different stages. Yes, and the way things are today with. Obviously, with small satellites, a lot of commercial off-the-shelf stuff that you can purchase and building a satellite for just a few million dollars, it, uh, that money does go a, a distance. Um, now, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, you picked the Australian Stock Exchange. And so you're, mm. you started in the UK, set up shop in Luxembourg, and now you're listed on Australian Stock Exchange over a European or US exchange. Why Australia? Well, we're an international company. Um, <laughs> I think uh, the Australian Stock Exchange was was uh, a, a it's an interesting choice. I think the the guys over there have a history of um, supporting or understanding uh, early stage tech based businesses. There's a uh, we're not the only foreign company, obviously, listing on the ASX. Um, there is a, a, a range of um, there's another space company on there, which is an Israeli-British company. Uh, it's called Spice Guy and Space Global, uh, listed on the ASX. Um, there are uh, a few uh, American technology-based companies that list on the ASX, get support, they get some growth, they you know go into revenue generation, and then they move back over to the Nasdaq over a period of time. So it's a good um, uh, it's a good environment to be for a, a sort of you know quick moving. Get, get yourself going sort of tech stock in that respect. We've got to prove ourselves and we've got to show that we can get, um, you know, commercial contracts to the door and we've got to show that we can get the launch and everything works and all those positive things um, that move forward. Um, and then we can, we can sort of grow off the back of that. But that was, that was really the, the, the reason for looking at the ASX. We've got a slightly different culture than, than perhaps other stock exchanges where it's able to accept these, these uh, earlier pre-revenue technology stocks and and there's been some good success there sky and space uh global who did um uh, i think it was a couple of years ago they listed on the asx and, the, and they've had good success there raised a couple of different rounds of, of money um and really just just seeing how they did did that we've we've looked at uh, lots of different investment routes in the past this would seem like a a, a, good, a good path for us and um, and we've been well supported through the process now, so if I remember correctly, so you went, you were listed what, uh, July twenty fifth or something? It was the twenty fourth of August. We uh, got listed twenty fourth of August in the end, yeah. And you raised yeah, uh, yeah. about eleven million Australian. Eleven million Australian dollars on that day, yeah. Yeah, and so that's in addition to the thirty point three that you had previously raised in the private funding, right? No, no, no. Sorry, that is included in that amount. Oh, that's included in that. Okay, so yeah, that's what, yeah that. Uh, yeah, that's the pri- That's the main bulk of the private. Uh, okay, so why list now? Why why not wait until you have a more proven product and and you can have a, a let's say a, a larger IPO? It's it's uh, it's a good question. And to be honest, it was a question I started off the whole process with, and um, and regularly went back to. And I think that you know, space is a binary. Uh, area. Unless you're in space, you can't generate revenue with the sort of business we're doing. Um, there is no, there's no other sort of route to generate revenue. So you've got to get there, and you've got to get there as quickly as you can to prove out your, to prove out your business case. In order to do that, 
you need to spend money on capital expenditure. You need to spend money on CapEx and, and get hardware bought and get hardware launched. It's an expensive game up front space. Once you're there, life gets a lot easier and you're able to then sort of move forward. But um, so to a certain extent, we needed this, uh, you know, this risk capital. They said this big chunk of money to come in now to, to get us going and move the business forward in that respect. So we had to take this sort of money, if you like, we had to raise this sort of money from somewhere. That was that was always the case. It was always going to be be the case. And so um, this is a uh, this is a good route to do it um, because we are already now listed. That doesn't stop us doing further larger raising as we grow our share price as we as we move forward. Um, that won't happen until we've proven ourselves and delivered the business model that we said we were going to deliver and shown that we can make money as a company. And then we can go back to the market and raise more money, perhaps, at that stage. Um, so it doesn't exclude us from doing those large, larger raises when we're ready to do it, because we've already been through, if you like, the kind of painful bit of getting onto the market. That's kind of that's kind of done. So I think it's it's a it's a good exercise, and it's not a bad route in terms of that type of business where you need to uh, have a kind of staged growth, but you always need that risk capital at the beginning. And that's always going to be a challenge for for space companies. And you were listed at 20 cents. Um, So I would say that uh, any of the people who bought in at that, if you're, if the business does pan out, uh, the stock might actually uh, be a good investment for them. Um, Yeah, absolutely. It's a a long-term it's a long-term game. You know, we're not even launching a satellite till June next year. Um, and, you know, it, it, uh, um, it, yeah, it, it, people have got to have a bit of patience around that. But then once we're, we're starting to grow, then I think it's going to be a fantastic business. All right. So I have one last question, and it has nothing to do with what we've been talking about, but it's one that I asked uh, my guests. Um, what books are you reading or have you read recently that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, that is a good question. Are you going to uh, expect me to say something really intelligent? Like, You'll um, be surprised some of the answers that I get. So I had one guest on who um, uh, was reading a book on how to raise chickens. So <laughs> you just never know what okay, you're going to well, get. I can, I, can probably, I, can probably, yeah, I can probably do a little bit better than that. There's a, there's a, uh, a, a, a really new sci-fi um, uh author that I like called Becky Chambers. Um, she's only written a couple of books. I think, yeah, two. And her third book, she's still in, in works. But she's got this trilogy. I think the first one was called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Uh, and I can't remember what the second one was called the trilogy. But, you know, you look up Becky Chambers. Um, she's, she's got this really cool trilogy. I like, I like the kind of upcoming sci-fi guys. I, I do tend to, you know, as per... I suppose you would you would expect. I do tend to stick around the sci-fi area, um, <laughs> but you know, looking at the new art, new authors, and just trying out different people. I think that's actually what I've really started getting into. Um, uh, you know, Amazon Kindle and you know, and other book readers are available, but it gives you that ability to try out authors who are self-publishing. They've only got one book out there, and I think that's uh, that's a really really cool thing. 
Okay, that's uh, that's a great answer, actually, um, because there's a lot of people out there always looking for new authors, and and there you go. There's a, a recommendation. Well, Andy, I, I want to thank I you for. <laughs> well, thank you, Andy. I want I want to thank you for being a guest on my uh, podcast today, and uh, as your business develops, I hope we can get you back on the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube Podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback, and to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode if you send me a comment by email i'll write back to you as soon as i can on twitter you can follow us at canada in space and if you use facebook you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page the space Q. if you like the show please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app